the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. We talk about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews and world religions. We talk about a lot of different things. And on Tough Question Tuesday, um, sometimes people ask really hard questions, like the one that Bonnie asked and Lonnie asked, and um, and even that Justin asked. But um, happy to take your calls. Hopefully this is helpful. 303-873-1935. One of the questions I get asked about is um, demonic possession. And it's my understanding that according to the Bible, demonic possession is real. And the solution, if you will, to demonic possession is exorcism. And one of the questions I get asked is about the movie, The Exorcist, which came out in 1973. Now, this movie came out literally um, right after I became a Christian. So I was a brand new Christian um, when The Exorcist came out. And even though it was made in 1973, some people think that this is the scariest movie ever made. And the fact that the movie is based on what seems to be, at least in part, a true story only adds to the terror. Now, the actual practice of exorcism, as you can imagine, is controversial. So when writer William Peter Blatty based his 1971 novel on a really disturbing episode that he'd heard about when he was in college, and um, William Peter Blatty adopted the story of a 14-year-old boy whose family had believed he was possessed by a demon, and a number of Jesuit priests performed the exorcism in 1949, which one account claims was witnessed by at least 48 people. And um, according to the account, it says, quote, the little boy would go into a seizure and get quite violent, one of the priests recalled, even going so far as to break that priest's nose. And he had words like hell etched into his skin. And skeptics doubt that the teenager was ever actually possessed, of course. And the boy reportedly went on to, to lead what some characterized as a relatively ordinary life. And Blatty wrote the script for William Friedkin's adaptation of the novel. And the author turned screenwriter won an Academy Award. 
So it's a different question about possession in Mark chapter 5. And happy to talk about that, or, you know, it's kind of creepy to talk about it. In the first hour, I also talked a little bit about um, Fat Tuesday, and tomorrow we'll talk a little bit about Valentine's Day and and perhaps Ash Wednesday. Um, again, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303 303- Eight seven three nineteen thirty five. One of the questions um, I get lots of questions about this on, you know, what does the Bible say about demonic oppression? Is there activity of demonic spirits in the world today? How do we distinguish between a psychological disorder from um, what appears to be um, something that can genuinely be characterized as Deep demonic possession. And so, again, 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. And, again, there are... The Bible has a lot to say about these spirit beings um, who apparently were at some point angelic beings, just like we were talking about earlier about angels and then fallen angels. We talked a little bit about Lucifer, how he was named Lucifer before his fall in Luke chapter 14, verse 12. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 13, he was in Eden. He was called the anointed cherub of God in Ezekiel 28. Um, The Bible talks about him being adorned with precious stones, um, having musical ability. The Bible speaks of the perfection of his wisdom and beauty and then in Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen, it talks about a fall through pride. He attempts to steal God's throne. He wants to be like God. The Bible characterizes Satan as being a being with intelligence, memory, a will, desire. He possesses pride. He possesses wrath. And apparently he has great organizational ability because apparently he is able to convince other angelic beings to follow him. This has led a lot of different Bible teachers and scholars to suggest that demons are fallen angels. And the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9, gives this little hint. It says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So Satan's fall from heaven seems to be symbolically described in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, and Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 15. Um, But it includes 
um, other verses in that in that text. So this has led a lot of people to conclude that when Satan, when Lucifer becomes Satan, he takes some of the angels with him, up to a third of the angels, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. And then Jude, verse 6, there's only one chapter in Jude, it says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. So both of those passages seem to mention a rebellion, sin, if you will. And this is why some people have concluded that demons are fallen angels who, along with Satan, chose to rebel against God, which leads to a a different kind of a question that I often get asked, and that is, well, in what world did Satan think he could actually win in this so-called rebellion? An interesting question. Hard question, too, and a tough question, too. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. So many calls are coming in, and I want to get to those calls. But I do also want to remind you that if you're sick and tired of achy joints and if you dread the idea of surgery, you can call QC Kinetics today. And again, the state of healthcare is always changing and the old ideas like steroids and surgery are no longer your only option. So regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics is transforming lives with innovative, non-surgical, drug-free treatments that deliver lasting results. Do you have knee pain like me, back pain, shoulder pain, arthritis or injury? You don't have to allow this pain to keep you from living, well, at least a little bit better life. QC Kinetics Advanced State-of-the-Art Treatments harness and direct your body's natural ability to restore and repair damaged joint tissue. This is a revolutionary approach that can get you long-term relief with little or no downtime. So make 2024 the year that you reclaim your mobility, reclaim your independence, walk, run, play, live without the danger and trauma of surgery and without harmful drugs. Call QC Kinetics today for a free consultation. The number is 303-900-8986. Again, 303-989-86. Let's see who's up. And I think we've got full line, so thank you. Thank you for calling in. 303-873-1935. Ed, welcome to the program. Hey, Gino. How you doing? Doing good. Good. I just had a question. Um, I don't know if you know anything about it, but I've heard, oh gosh, it's been on at least over a year, but I think it comes on one of the local AM uh, stations, and I think it plays on the weekends, but um, it's called the Jesus Christ Show, and this guy comes on and says, hey, I'm Jesus, and answers questions, you know, to people that call in. And I'm like, what is this? So anyway, I didn't know if you knew anything about it. Yeah, I don't know about this. (laughs) Is it a local thing? 
Yeah, AM stations. Well, I'm looking at, I looked it up since you just literally said this, and it says the Jesus Christ show on KFI. Now, I know about KFI in um, in Southern California, and that's AM radio. My boss used to work for um, KFI, but apparently, um, according to the, the information on the web, it's a program that plays in Los Angeles and is allegedly hosted by Jesus Christ. So I don't, I actually don't know, but, um, it, that's a gutsy thing. Yeah. To do. I mean, you, get, you know, when people, you know, this is Jesus, you know, I'm there, uh, you know, I didn't know if you knew anything about it. No. And I, I do know that with artificial intelligence, there are apps that are claimed to be Jesus, but you know, again, I'm thinking of Matthew 24, 24, when they say I'm Jesus, uh, don't believe them. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I just, I just didn't know. I mean, this oh, is, I'm uh, looking, I'm looking, looking, and I found that it's on KDFD in Denver. So, um, yep, never. Yeah, it's never, one of our AM stations. Here. Yeah, yeah, I've I've never heard it, but okay. now you've piqued my interest. You're gonna force me to have to listen in and maybe make a comment. <laughs> All hey, thank, right. Thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Glenn, welcome to the program. Hey, Gino. I caught your comment before the break about, or I guess someone called and asked about Catholic priests, and then you mentioned the exorcist. And I, I've right. never seen that show. I wasn't even saved when I saw it. It's, it's and, creepy, uh, creepy, creepy. Very creepy. And, uh, my my the only thing and I'm not I have no I'm not an ex- expert on demon possession but the one thing I do know is that when Jesus met someone who was demon possessed they usually got saved that person did not the demon right. and he sent them packing so when I think of the Catholic Church and I was raised Catholic so there, sort of I don't think they're the go-to people when it comes to someone who's demon-possessed. And my other question, my, it's kind of a question comment. If you're Catholic and you can be demon-possessed, how does that happen if the Spirit of God is in you? So I guess I'm kind of saying that if you're Catholic and you can't be demon-possessed, you were never saved. Because light cannot inhabit, darkness cannot inhabit the same being where there's light where the Spirit of God is. So I struggle with the Catholic Church being the go-to guys when it comes to someone who's messed up like that. And yeah, I, would, I, I, would, I the last person I would want to see would be a Catholic priest. Right. And, and I think your question is interesting on, on so many different levels because, again, when we look at the New Testament examples in Mark chapter 5 and, and elsewhere, um, and, and it talks about demon possession— there is a um, a passage of scripture um, in in the book of Acts. You'll remember where a group of so-called um, <laughs> Jewish exorcists were right. were were going to cast out a demon. And you'll remember the demon says, "Paul, we know, or Jesus, we know, Paul, we know, but you know, who are you?" And yeah. and so th- there seems to be strong biblical evidence 
in my view, that a, that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. And to your point, um, the Bible says that the devil seeks to devour believers, not possess them. But even then, the Bible also says the way we deal with demonic or satanic oppression, the Bible says submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And, of course, John, in the little epistle of 1 John chapter 4, says in verse 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And that it's the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit um, it, that's available to overcome demonic oppression. And as my pastor was fond of saying, um, if the Holy Spirit is is not renting but occupying the apartment, he's not going to sublet it <laughs> to a devil. Um, but Very but again, point. but again, to your point, it, in Roman Catholicism, they have a sophisticated system of of the a ritual a ritual of exorcism and again it would appear that in the new testament the the disciples of jesus perform exorcisms to show christ's dominion over the demons in luke chapter 10 and interestingly again there was a shift in the later part of the new testament regarding dem- demonic warfare and of course, from Romans to Jude, um, there is are references to demonic activity, but not so much to casting them out. Um, but rather, for believers, we're told to put on the full armor of God, and like I said earlier, you submit to God, resist the devil. To me, I don't think it's possible to resist the devil unless you are submitted to God. And so the rest, you know, the book of Ephesians tells us how we're to have victory in our life against the forces of evil. And again, the Roman Catholic position seems to be that um, you're going to, you know, that it's, it's the powerful ritual that is able to accomplish that. But to your point, it, it, Jesus makes it clear, why would you want to cast out a demon when, seven more of his buddies are going to come and and make you seven times the son of hell. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. But it begs a question, and I only got a few seconds, but I want to encourage you. We have a, an article at gotquestions.org called How Are Catholics Able to Perform Exorcisms If Most of Their or Many of Their Beliefs Are Unbiblical? <laughs> <laughs> And that might be a fun article for you. It's at gotquestions.org. How are Catholics able to perform exorcisms if many of their beliefs are unbiblical? It's sort of based on what you said earlier. Wait a minute. These people don't seem to be the go-to people. (laughs) Thank you, Gene. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on Tough Question Tuesday. And Lynn, I'm sorry that you dropped because I really do want to answer your question or at least uh, talk about what you told my producer. Lynn, if if you're there, call 303-873-1935. Apparently, um, you left my producer with the impression that your church 
says that the rapture was made up in the 1800s. And the way that I would answer that or to think about that is the the way that I would think about it is the rapture is not something that was made up in the 1800s. What was, in fact, perhaps at least developing in the 1800s was what's called dispensational theology. And so when we when we think about the rapture, the rapture isn't made up in the 1800s. Um, it's not even made up in the 100s or the 50s. Perhaps the the earliest book ever written in the Bible dates to about some some scholars put it as early as 46 A.D. and some later as 51 A.D. But it's the first epistle of Thessalonians. And so, Lynn, if, if you call in, I would love to talk with you. The number is 303-873-1935. And if you are listening, um, what I would say is, okay, let's see what the Bible says. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is writing on the theme of Christ's return. And so in verse 13 of chapter 4, Paul gives a revelation of the rapture of the church. So Paul says in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. The reference to those who have fallen asleep is a a, a beautiful way of talking about people who have died. And so when Paul is using the expression, but I don't want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep, he's basically saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about what happens to people who die, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So we're given a clue. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return with the dead. And then he says in verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In other words, this didn't come from CNN. It didn't come from Fox News. It didn't come from an anti-dispensational rant. He says, Paul is saying, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Paul, where did you get your information? I got this from the Lord. And then he says that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Pause and think about that. Paul is talking about people who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. So is there a generation that will be alive and remains until the coming of the Lord? Apparently, in verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And in verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Pause and think about that. Then we who are alive and remain. Apparently, there's a generation that will be alive and remain. They will be caught up. The word caught up is the Greek word hadapadzo. It means snatched away. 
Depending on the context, it means taken away violently by force. It could be used as an expression of kidnapping, if you will. And so it says, will be caught up. In the Latin Vulgate, it's translated rapturus, which we get the word rapture from. And so the rapture is the catching away of a terminal generation. What is at, at, um, what's at odds, if you will, is just the idea of, is this catching up and the second coming of Christ, is it the same event or a different event? So, um, Lynn, I understand you're back on the phone. Lynn, did you hear any of the things that I just said? I did. Fortunately, I could hear it on my phone. So, oh, okay. So, to, that to was make exactly a- what I w- was getting to was, um, which I was saying to your producers. Well, I've listened to some sermons recently about that, and some will say, "Well, the reason people don't believe in the rapture is they think it's the second coming." But these well, pastors I've heard on the radio have said, no, no, no. Well, With the it, second it, coming, he lands on the Mount of all doesn't land. But. Right. I, I, and, I, and I think that that's a different. Uh, so, so the way that I would frame this idea to, to you and to your pastor or to whoever, whoever cares about listening to it, it's, it's what you alluded to earlier. Is the rapture and the second coming of Christ the same thing. So the the reason why I bring this up is because this is not a dispensational theological position that was invented in the 1800s. Lots of people have asked and answered the question of, of this first Thessalonians four passage is the rapture and the second coming the same event. So to your to pastor's point, and I would be willing to concede the point, that dispensational premillennialism says, no, they're different events separated by seven years. Now, depending on people who have a pre-tribulation rapture view or a three-and-a-half-year mid-tribulational rapture view, there's different views. So historic premillennialism says, yes, they're the same event. All millennialism says, yes, they're the same event. Post-millennialism says, yes, they're the same event. So to, to the pastor's point, well, is historical or do, does dispensational premillennialism provide us with the best explanation and so, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've, I have a friend who's sort of thrown um, the pre-tribulational rapture under the bus, so to speak. And and so, you, you said you've been listening to people uh, uh, who have who have talked about the strengths and weaknesses of the of the tri- pre-tribulational view, and some of what they might say are the strengths and weaknesses. Um, is the historical point. You know, if this is really true, then why was it developed late in life? And the way that I would answer that is, well, it hasn't developed late in the life of the church. The church has always, I shouldn't say always, but I'm going to make 
I, I'm going to suggest that the imminent coming of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus, and if a, a, a reading of the New Testament leaves the believer with the expectation that Jesus could show up at any moment. Right. But yet there are certain things that have to happen. Before the second coming. Before the second coming. How that makes do you... And how do you reconcile that? And the way that I reconcile that is several fold. Um, and, and that is, well, because the rapture will occur at a time that you didn't anticipate. And that there's this, there, there's a, there's a rapture, a transition from mortality to immortality. So pa- pause and think about that, just for clarity's sake. Everyone who believes in historical biblical Christianity believes in the literal second coming of Jesus. True or false? Mm-hmm. True. That's true. So does everyone who believes in the literal second coming of Jesus, believe that the rapture and the second coming are distinct events. No, not everybody believes that. Is there a plausible case that can be made biblically that they're separate events? I think that the answer is yes. And I'm going to talk about that if you don't mind. You don't have to stay on if you don't want to, but if you want to stay on, I would love to talk with you. Okay, thank you. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. Lynn, I'm glad you called back because I want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding what you're saying. I was left with the impression that you believe your church says that the rapture is a man-made invention that was invented in the 1800s. Is that true? That's that's the way I understood it, was that whatever people were reading around that time, whatever parts of the Bible, they concluded that there was this thing called the rapture that nobody previous to that had thought of. Yeah, And, and then what I would say is, let's make sure we understand what we mean by the rapture, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give a definition and you tell me if you think it's a good definition or a bad definition. Okay. The rapture is when Jesus Christ returns to remove the church. That means all believers in Christ from the earth. Yes. Does that make sense? Yep. Now, That's now, it. right. And so I just read that the rapture is described in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen. Does the Bible in First Thessalonians tell us that there will come a time when Jesus returns to remove the church, all believers? And I say all believers because remember, Paul says in that passage, the dead in Christ will rise first. This is a reference to the people who don't believe in the rapture. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what it means at all. <laughs> it means it, that it means the people who have died in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So there so 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 you've got two groups of people. Those who love Jesus and they're gone, okay? Mm-hmm. And by gone I mean dead. And yeah, then the right. people who love Jesus and remain on the earth. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where in verses 50 through 54, 
uh, Paul talks about, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor the perishable inherit the imperishable. I'm telling you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And then it says, and we shall all be changed. Now, again, are there human beings alive on the earth when Jesus shows up? For the rapture, you mean? Yeah. Or the second coming? Both. Well, because this yeah. is what Paul says, we shall be changed. So does right. First Corinthians 15 and First Thessalonians sound like it was made up in the 1800s? Not to me. <laughs> yeah, not to me either. Now, so, so at the rapture, believers meet the Lord in the air, according to First Thessalonians 4.17. At the second coming, believers return with the Lord to the earth, according to Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, which you alluded to. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now, I'm willing mm-hmm. to concede, I'm willing to concede that at the rapture, believers meet the Lord in the air, and I'm willing to concede at the second coming, the believers come with Jesus to the earth. I'm willing to concede that it is it possible that that event happens at the same time. I think it is possible, but not probable, because the second coming occurs after the great and terrible tribulation, which is mentioned in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, and the rapture occurs before the tribulation. How do you know that, Gino? Is it because it was made up in the 1800s by dispensational premillennialists? No. First Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain yeah. salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, "For our, God has not destined us for wrath, what kind of wrath is he talking about? Is he talking about the wrath of the devil? No. He's talking about the judgment that God has assigned to the earth for the people who have rejected Jesus. So pause and think, of, think about that for a minute. For God has not destined us for wrath. What, what does Paul mean? He, he, he can't mean that God hasn't destined us to never experience uh, persecution from the devil because there's lots of scriptures that tell us that we, we're going to expect tribulation, doesn't it? Expect persecution, mm-hmm. expect tribulation. Your, your enemy, the devil, goes about the earth like a roaring lion. So... In Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, uh, John writing uh, uh, the words of Jesus to the churches says, Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole earth to try those who dwell dwell on the earth. Now, again, Mm -hmm. does Revelation 3.10, was it written in the 1800s so so that you would believe that there's a rapture? Well, I agree with everything you're saying. Well, but see, uh, and, and, uh, no, 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 and I'm glad. You, yeah, I'm glad you agree. But, but part of this exercise, and and Lynn, thank you, thank you, thank you for calling because there's a lot of people who don't believe that 
that's never been explained to them. And so one of the things I wanted to thank you for was just giving me the opportunity to explain mm-hmm. that, especially for people who go to your church or churches yeah. like your church who say, this rapture business, it's nonsense. Well, what if it's not nonsense? What if First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 is not nonsense? And what if the second coming includes the removal, not of believers from tribulation, but of unbelievers as an act of judgment in Matthew 24, verse 40. Now, how do you explain if the rapture is secret and instant, like it's described in 1 Corinthians 15, um, where it says, hey, wait a minute, this is going to all happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, that, mm-hmm. and, and that we don't know. The second coming is visible to all in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Matthew 24, verse 29. So you've got this situation where the second coming is seen by everyone. Mm-hmm. But then you've got, the, the, you've got this snatching away that takes well, place. And so here's a little point to that because I have a big heart for the unbelievers. All the more reason not to fool around and say, well, according to the Bible, X, Y, and Z has to happen before the second coming. So I'm going to hold out and just decide if I want to believe or not. No. Right. And see, the difference between the second second coming and the rapture is one is imminent. And let me tell you what I mean by that. The rapture is imminent, which means it could take place at any moment. That's what that word means. It is imminent. And you go, well, where in the Bible do you get that? Well, Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus. And again, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. So why is it important? Why is it important to keep the rapture and the second coming distinct? In my view, because the Bible says it's important that believers understand that they don't have to go through this great period of wrath. And when I was at Columbine and the parents were waiting, you know what they wanted? They wanted their children out of there. They wanted them delivered. Is Mm. it wrong? Is it wrong for the Christian to say, well, wait a minute. Does it make sense to punish the guilty with the innocent? Hmm. Nope. So thank you for calling, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this. Well, and thank you for going over all that. I appreciate it, and I took more notes. <laughs> thank you. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.